You're listening to episode 373 of the Good New World Order. My name is Klaatu, and in this episode, as with most episodes lately, we're going to be going through the packages that are installed by default on Slackware Linux. If you're not running Slackware Linux, that's okay. You're probably able to get the applications that I'm talking about on whatever OS you are running, whether that is a Linux um, operating system or something else. Who cares? It doesn't matter. There are open source software applications. That means that you can pretty much download them uh, for zero dollars, generally speaking, install them and run them. So let's get started with this, shall we? We are currently in the AP package set. Um, so we've gotten through up to the M section. That is M as in Mike. And I'm going to look in the uh, package set listing here on Slackware.com. If you don't know where to find this, this is something that you might want to bookmark or however you keep track of, uh, of sites on the internet that you visit frequently. It is, uh, well, it can be any Slackware mirror. So I use uh, ftp.osuosl.org slash pub slash Slackware slash Slackware 64 dash 14.2 slash Slackware 64 slash AP. The point is that all of the packages that are installed on Slackware are stored on the Slackware mirror network. And so you can, you, you as long as you know like a local mirror or a convenient one for you, whatever, whatever qualification you require, you can go there and download packages or look at the build scripts and all sorts of things. So it's, it's actually really handy to have. I have a lot of the repositories of software for open source projects. Projects, uh, bookmarked. That's the only, that's the one reason I use bookmarks in a browser. Like, I'm not really a bookmark person, but that's, that's one of the things that I do actually bookmark. Okay, so we're going to look in var slash var slash log slash packages at the next one up, which is the, the first of the M's called Mad Play. Mad Play is a MPEG audio decoder, M-A-D, Mad, and player play, mad play. It's, um, it's for the terminal, so you, you can play music and sounds and things from your terminal. And there are two binaries that are, that are, um, sent out with this package. There's mad play and then something called ABX test. I've had mixed results with ABX test. And, and even mad play, I have to admit, I don't actually use very often because there are so many terminal commands to play sounds. It, it really is kind of, um, it's funny on Slack where there are so many applications that could do this uh, that, you know, whatever one you sort of stumble onto, I think, is kind of the one you settle for. And you kind of forget, or at least I forget, that there are several others to explore. So Madplay, I mean, Madplay is a perfect example. I forgot completely that this thing existed until I was prepping for this episode. Madplay, command line, MPEG audio decoder and player play, uh, based on the MAD library. That's lib MAD. MAD is a high-quality MPEG audio decoder. Currently supports MPEG-1, MPEG-2, as well as the so-called MPEG-2.5. Never heard of it. And it says all three audio layers, that is layer 1, 2, and 3, aka MP3, are fully implemented. So there you go, in case you were concerned about those details. And it goes on in the man, in the man page. And uh, the long and the short of it, is that you can play a song, uh, specifically an MPEG uh, song or, or sound, by typing in mad play and then the file that you want to play. Now, I honestly don't have that many MPEG files to my name. Like, I've, I, I got, by, by the time I'd converted, like, music manually, I was well into the open source 
world. And so I was converting stuff to AUG, mostly some flack. And really, ever since then, I've purchased largely from Bandcamp, which distributes uh, flack as one of the options. So if you don't use Bandcamp, you should check that out. It's a really good little site for, for in, independently inclined music. But I do have a couple couple of songs that are mp3 here and so i'm just going to type in mad play and then i'll just do the first one and there we go it's playing and oh this one's from jamindo this one i got from jamindo it's a uh, creative commons uh heavy metal Hey, it works. Okay, so that's um, it's pretty straightforward. Just a nice little handy command to get your music playing. I like I like it when it's simple like that. That's definitely a good thing. You could also, of course, just go to a directory and do madplay asterisk mp3, and then it would play through all of your songs. That's generally how I would play music for the longest time. Uh, well, I mean, still is to a degree. Uh, it's a little bit different now because I've ripped most albums at this point as single tracks. Just a, a the album is one track because I never listen to albums out of order, and people who do are uh, wrong to do so. So um, I'm I'm kidding, of course. You can actually listen to music in any order that you want. It doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I do have a certain respect for for album track order as silly as that is i mean i feel like some bands actually do care about that sort of thing and then others really don't and certainly there were times of of music creation where the album was just completely arbitrary so it's it's not really that big of a deal i used to think it was a bigger deal than i think about than i think it is now okay so um so we've got other we got other options here for mad play there is, for instance, dash dash sample dash rate, and then you can tell it to output at a different a, a different sample rate. You could do dash dash no dash dither. Do not dither output PCM samples. Um, it it would be a lower quality most likely, but uh, you can analyze output from the decoder without the you know without the extra sort of additives. Dash dash fade in equals and then some duration in it looks like seconds. Dash dash attenuation. Attenuate or amplify the signal by some number of decibels, which you define. So uh, in in or other words, again, dash dash adjust dash volume, adjust the relative volume for all files. So then if you are going into a directory and just playing all songs ending in .mp3, you could tell it, hey, I want you to sort of make sure that across all all of these songs, there's there's a um, sort of a standardized, um, uh, uh, what is it called, average, um, average volume level, sort of an RMS, I guess. Um, dash dash replay dash gain would be enable replay gain volume adjustments, replay gain information contained in the decoded files, if any, is used to make volume adjustments. So once again, this is basically, well, well, it is gain, so it's it's similar to the attenuate option, except instead of you defining or hard coding a number of decibels by which to increase the volume, you are saying use a profile presumably embedded within the metadata of the, the song to to make some kind of adjustment. You can also do dash dash left or dash dash right or just dash one and dash two respectively to switch which switch which um, channel channel your um, sound is coming out of. You can do dash dash mono, dash dash stereo, 
for one of those, and so on. You can do a start time, you can do a, a duration time, so that's a little bit like FFmpeg, which is kind of nice. Dash dash shuffle, you can randomize the files that you're playing back, and dash dash repeat. So these are all the standard options. Like, if you open up Amarok, which is another music player that I quite like. Now, that's not terminal-based, though. But if you open up Amarok, you know, which I guess is sort of really a very traditional kind of um, media library sort of application, you open that up, and these are the options you're going to see there. You know, the shuffle, the, the repeats, and the, the obviously the adjustments for volumes and stuff like that. So the fact that this has all of those things kind of built in is really nice. And you don't see that all the time. Uh, there is, for instance, an, uh, a playback... I don't know if I'm going to be able to find a man page for it. Yeah, maybe it doesn't have a man page. There's another There's another one called MPEG123, which I'm assuming will we'll talk about at some point. And um, it doesn't have quite this level of of options. I mean, it, it does have a shuffle. I don't think it has a repeat. I'm not seeing it immediately anyway in the help output. It's got a couple of different, like, you can downsample it, but you can't, like, d- d- um, j- jockey around where the sound, you know, whether it's mono or stereo or coming out of just the left. Actually, you can. You can do, um, you can, you can, you can make it literally just left. You can make it just mono. But yeah, so there's there's just a little bit of extra, just a couple of different options with Madplay that I don't feel is is a given, at least not to the extent that it appears in Madplay in other players. So that's kind of kind of cool. Um, again, the downside here would be that it is it is exclusively for MPEG files. You're you're not going to use this for AUG files because it it won't it won't recognize those. So. Uh, let me see what it does if we try to if I try to give it an AUG file. It just says error frame zero lost synchronization. Yeah, so it, it just doesn't know what what a non MPEG file is. So if you're not really big into MPEGs, then this may not be something that you're going to use often. And for me, that is the, that has been the case. M- most of the stuff that I'm listening to is either AUG or FLAC or I guess lately sometimes an Opus if if it's a podcast that I've converted to Opus or something, or that, or that delivers an Opus, whichever, whichever it might be. Um, and, and Madplay just, that's not the, that's not a thing, or MPEG, it's just not something that I, I tend to need. So there are different output formats, so that's kind of cool. You can output to, well, null, to nothing. You can output to, straight to ESD, which is the Enlightened Sound Daemon, which I don't know if that's even in use anymore. I've, I've run Enlightenment within the past two or three years, and I don't, I don't know for sure that it is still utilizing the ES. I just don't recall. There is, uh, you can output to hex. That's ASCII hexadecimal. That kind of sounds fun. Raw SND, which is the Sun and Next Audio format. Wave, which of course is Wave. AIFF, which is, uh, I think the Apple and what was it, Amiga or something. Um, sound format, and then CDDA, which is CD audio. So you got some some options there. And I guess that's it. I mean, I, I feel like that's sort of a summary of what Madplay does. That's the long and short of it. There's not a whole lot more to say, I don't think, other than, again, just kind of, it, it's a little bit amusing in a way that it is, I think, it feels pretty darn flexible in all but its input. Like, that's kind of funny to me that it's... I mean, not hilarious. It's not... It's not... And I'm not trying to judge the application poorly. I'm I'm just observing that for all of its flexibility, the 
input is so restricted to MPEG, which makes sense um, because that's what it is. It, it calls itself an MPEG player. And you know, at I'm I'm, a, I'm assuming that this was probably written at a time. The, the date on the, mad, the on the man page is 2004. So I'm assuming that when it was written, having an MPEG player was probably like really really significant and i imagine that when they when people were looking out at the landscape of digital music at the time mpeg3 was it that was that was the cassette or the cd of that of that time and it probably didn't really even occur to the author or maybe it just wasn't important to the author to to kind of diversify and say well you can play mpeg files you can play og files you can play whatever files so that's kind of it's kind of just an observation, um, but yeah, if you're if you're looking for if you've got a lot of MP, MP3s and a lot of people do, uh, then then this might be a really useful application for that. Okay, so the next one is ABX test and ABX test. I've had mixed. I've I've had crashes. Let's just put it that way. Out right out there. Let's just say that out front, up front. Um, ABX test has crashed my. I think just my terminal. Um, and that's or, and when I say crashed, you know, I've just closed the tab. But 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 it wasn't it wasn't useful. It wasn't good. Um, and and what makes it less appealing to me even beyond that, or, or combined with that, is is that ABX test. Um, it doesn't. The functionality for me is not important. I, I don't see the value in this for for myself. Um, what it does is it does a listening a listening test to determine whether you can discern or or a subject can discern the difference or any difference between two music files. And the way that that works, from what I understand, and like I say, it did crash on me a couple of times, so it's difficult for me to be sure. But the the way that it apparently works is that you give it an A file and a B file, and then it um, plays those those files a couple of times for you. And you are you're, there's an interactive me- menu that comes up, and you are meant to select which which track is which, or what, or, or you know, you're you're supposed to define. Yeah, this is this is this is song A. No, this is song B, and so on. And I believe, I mean, obviously, if you played, you know, um, take five and um, and uh, shaker loops, people would probably think, okay, I can probably tell the difference between those two. That's easy. I think what you're supposed to do is play take five encoded as I don't know a 128 kilobit per second MP3 versus take five encoded at a 320 kilobit per second MP3, and then play it back for someone and say, hey, can you tell the difference? That's I, I'm assuming that's the intent here, and I guess that's what we'll do. So, um, actually, you know what? Before I do this, because I like I say I do know that it does tend to crash um, w- during my experiments, and one of the things that was really annoying was that the songs were too long that I was selecting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let's take a coffee break, and during the coffee break, I will go grab some really short MP3 files, and then I'll come back with coffee and with short MP3 files, and that that will make the A/B test. A lot quicker if if not if not useful it'll make it quicker and ideally less crashy let's go get coffee
has come to my attention that uh, some of you haven't been getting coffee during the coffee breaks. I strongly, strongly discourage this. Uh, the coffee breaks are here for you to actually go get coffee. So if you're not doing that, uh, just, you know, think about what you've not done and um, and reconsider. Actually, that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say, it has come to my attention that not everyone uh, who is listening to my show is necessarily everywhere else I am. And, and this is a weird thing for me, because um, quite some time ago, I, I felt, probably incorrectly then as well, but I, I felt like my, my reach was fairly limited, because I did zero outreach. And I figured, well, the ten people that are actually listening to the show are the same people that I interact with all week on IRC or wherever and and it was kind of an I felt like it was a known a known factor like I knew all listeners and and as I grew a little to like 30 known listeners I I still kind of felt like okay and I literally had a list of all the 30 listeners like because I told people if you're listening to the show email me and I'll assign you a number and I did that for 30 people and um and so I I felt again probably incorrectly that I just knew everyone listening to the show and and it is kind of I've kind of realized lately that probably that's not correct um if if only because I'm not only in one place now I'm I'm in several different communities and so you never know people from those communities might be listening to my show and 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 they that you know the, the people over on for instance Mastodon who I interact with are not uh sometimes are not the same people over on Hacker Public Radio. I mean there's crossover for sure and and sometimes one finds their way into the other which is great but but it's not a given and so I need to stop assuming that, and and in the interest of not assuming that any longer, I want to sort of announce here for people interested, and you don't have to be interested, this is something that's completely optional, I'm just letting you know about it. Um, I lead a secret life as a Dungeons and Dragons player, and um, if you, or you know, tabletop RPG in general I guess would be a lot more accurate than saying that, but if you don't know what that is, then you certainly you know what Dungeons and Dragons is. Um, and lately, I mean, lately since the pandemic, I've been playing those games online, which I'd never really done before. I, In fact, I, I want to kind of say never. I think I've never, I'd never done that before because I was very skeptical about it. And tabletop role-playing is a way for me to, like, that's the, you know, one of the few things that motivates me to get away from the computer. And, you know, I've got friends who who say oh it's easy for me to go away from the computer because i sit at a computer all day at work and when i come home i do not want to then uh, partake in you know computer activities uh that's not the case for me i will sit at a computer all day at work and then i will sit at the same computer now um all day in the evening or all evening and it's fine i'm happy to do that so tabletop role-playing games with its actual physical paperback books full of paper um, and character sheets and pencils and things like that, uh, that that makes me think, okay, well, I think, yeah, I think I can turn this computer off now and read through this, this source book or or gather a bunch of people together to play. So this idea of, of doing that on the computer did not appeal to me. But because of the pandemic, I decided to, to start playing online. Um, and, and, I mean, you do kind of have to admit, it does 
broaden the reach of your gaming potentials. I mean, you've got people all over the world who you can play a tabletop game with now, whereas before you were you're, you're really only limited to the people in your in your immediate area. It, it, it's been nice, honestly, because I mean, if nothing else, it, it it increases the variety of types of players that you get to play with. If you're doing in-person games, you, you do whether you're in a big city or a a small town, eventually you start to kind of, you get to know the the, the people within the local role-playing community, uh, or the tabletop uh, community, and, and you know, they're, they're, you, you, you get a certain set of people. You get a certain set of playing styles. And online, of course, you've just got so many other people to choose from, so suddenly you're just getting all different kinds of, of gameplay, which is a lot of fun. I mean, that's variety is the spice of uh, tabletop gaming. So I am, I'm telling you this, dear listener, because you may not be privy to the fact that I'm doing this because I've announced it on Hacker Public Radio's mailing list. And if you're not on that, you wouldn't know this. And I, I kind of realized how silly it was for me to announce it in one place and then not the other. So you are invited to, if you, if you are interested in tabletop role-playing games, you're invited to join in on, on a game. And what I'm doing is I'm doing a series of games that uh, I'm hoping will last one month each. I play for two hours once a week. Once a week, two hours. And we'll do a different RPG system every month or so. It, it's not set in stone. It might go over a week. It might go under. Well, it probably won't go under, but it might go over. It might, you know, whatever. doesn't matter. We just want to try a bunch of different systems. So we'll play uh, D&D one week, Dungeon Delvers another week, Swords and Wizardry, uh, Shadowrun, Starfinder, Pathfinder, you know, just keep mixing it up. Different different system every single month. As I say, we only play for two hours, so it's not one of those eight-hour-long marathons that you m- may hear about. These are very quick games. I like to stay focused. We get together to play. We don't get together to chat. We, we just play the game. I welcome people who have zero experience, and I welcome people who have lots of experience. It doesn't matter your level of experiences with tabletop role-playing. Uh, I, I would humbly say that if you've had bad experiences with tabletop gaming, then you might, and you still are curious, you might want to join in. I'm, uh, I mean, you know me, dear listener. So you know, if if you're if you're curious about it, but you've had bad experiences, or you're curious about it, but you're nervous because you've never tried it before, whatever the case, if you want to try that again with someone that you know, then you're welcome. Um, otherwise, ignore me. But if you are interested. You can go to mixedsignals.ml, I'll have this URL in the show notes, slash games, plural, slash rpg.xml. It's an RSS feed with an iCalendar event attached. It announces the gaming system that we're going to play, and it schedules the, the, it blocks out the time span over which we will play it. So, upcoming we have Shadowrun happening on Sunday, UTC Sunday, so that's Monday for me in New Zealand, but for you it's probably Sunday-ish. Depends on where you are, obviously. Uh, at some time, again, depends on where you are, that'll be contained in the iCalendar invite, and it happens throughout October, and then or throughout, like, every every Monday or whatever it is, uh, through October. And then, ideally, we'll end there, and we'll switch to some other system. Now, at the end of each one, we, I also want to consider recording a Hacker Public Radio episode. It would be optional to actually record to record the show. 
I just want to record the sort of thoughts and impressions on that gaming system for Hacker Public Radio because I think if we're going to keep if we're going to try a bunch of different systems we may as well do a book report on each. I mean it just makes sense I think. So that's the idea. It happens online, no video, voice only. We don't bother with battle mats or anything like that. We just we just play the game. So if you're interested now you know that it is happening. I'll include the link to the show notes where you can sign up for that or whatever. It's not really a sign-up process. I haven't figured out how I'm going to do sign-up yet. I should probably think about that. Anyway, it's there. If you want to join in, feel free. Okay, back to ABX test. So I've downloaded some uh, a small little sample here that I guess I should test really quick to make sure that that actually plays. I got it from freesound.org, and if you don't know about freesound.org, and you do anything with with sound, you should know about it. It's a great site. It uh, this this uh, this person DJ Masta um, has uploaded Requiem-3.mp3, and it does appear to play correctly. So I should be able to ABX test this now for the the test to make like any sense at all. I think it's going to need some. Uh, I think. I should probably create another version of it because I just feel like it's weird to do it otherwise. So it looks like using media info, which is a command that's not included in Slackware, but um, it's really useful. It looks like this is 193. Oh, that's the that's the file size, not the not the bit, not the um, not the bitrate. I can't find the bitrate right now. Where's the bitrate? There it is, 128. So we may as well do like a um, ffmpeg dash in 13 whatever dot mp3 dash VN video no dash AC1. So I'm going to reduce it down to mono because I just do that for practically everything anyway. So I might as well do it for this. And then we'll do, um, let's do the sample rate um, at, or the, uh, sorry, the um, bit rate for audio. So that's dash B colon A uh, at 80. That seems reasonable. 80K. And then we'll just output that to, I don't know, second.mp3. Oh, wait. We're going to do A codec copy. We don't need to transcode it. We just need to, to make it smaller. Okay, cool. So now we have, we've got one and second. That doesn't make any sense. How about if we call that two? One and two. Okay, cool. So I'll do ABX test dash N as in November for the minimum. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to put like, I don't know, I think let's do minimum of three and then dash M as in Mike for maximum 10. So minimum of three tests, maximum of 10, uh, of 10 tests. There's also the option to do a dash G for goal. Um, I don't think I have a goal for this, so I'm going to just do in quotes madplay1.mp3 and then close the quotes, and then quotes again madplay2.mp3. So that should set the A and the B to to those commands. And that took me a while to figure that one out. It, it, it is not really super obvious from its documentation that that's how you have to tell it what A and B are. But A and B are both commands. They're complete commands. Okay, so the, the trial has started, and it says trial 1, play A, play B, play X. Vote A, vote B, or stop. So I'm going to play A. And there is A. And it's funny how long that actually feels when, um, when you're waiting for it to end. And then I'll, I'll play B. Yeah, okay, we get it. Uh, I can't stop it, so we'll just keep going here. Um, and then I, I can stop it in editing, though. So if I cut it off in editing, you'll know that that was just in editing. And then finally you say play X. And so now it's playing one, one of those two, right? A or B. And I'm, I'm talking over it 
haphazardly because obviously you're getting all of this processed again so it's not going to actually make any difference to you so a b i heard those two then i play x which did i hear i don't know and now i can vote for either a or b so i'll just arbitrarily say oh i think that was a so it votes for a and then it just keeps going with the trial now it's playing x again i don't know which one it is so i just have to guess and so i'll vote for um b i guess this is working a lot better than in my uh, initial tests by the way I, I think my problem was that i was using a longer sample I, I, I've got to assume that that's what that was, um, because this is going really, really smoothly. And it just keeps going, and I'm going to stop it, because eventually it, it gives me the tally. So, I mean, even if I stop it, it gives me the tally. So it says, two trials completed. A was madplay1.mp3, B was madplay2.mp3. Votes, I voted A and then B. Actually, what I heard was AA, and then it was going to do BAA, BA, BAA. So I got one out of two correctly uh, correct. It was a 50%. That was such a better experience than before. I was really struggling. I'm really glad that I did the shorter MP3 file. I, I, I think if it was a longer one, I think that would be really, really difficult to um it, it would be difficult to sit through it, honestly, for me, um, but probably for anyone. You know, so probably what you're meant to do is maybe use Madplay to make short uh, clips of of songs, maybe, and then play it back and try to figure out whether you can tell one is better than the other. Which I mean, that's totally valid. Because how many how many times have you sat in front of Lame or or whatever you use to encode something down to MP3 or Aug for that matter? You know, any compression thing, right? So. How many times have you sat down in front of a compressor of some sort and thought, oh, I'm not really comfortable compressing this, and I don't know what I should comp Should I compress it at 320, or is that a waste of space? Maybe maybe 128 is okay. Or 192. Split the difference, you know? It happens all the time to, to everybody. Anytime you compress something, you're just like, well, I don't know what I want yet because I... I don't know the results. So A-B test is a great way for you to actually hear the results. Make a little clip of one, make a little clip of the other, test yourself, see if you can actually tell the difference. Pretty, pretty clever, and very cool that it worked this time. I really thought it was going to crash again, and I, um, I just wasn't, uh... I didn't think it was going to work, but it did. Okay, so next up is MAN. MAN is, of course, the very tool that I've been using this entire series, practically, to, to freshen up on what each command does. And a funny thing has happened. An interesting thing has happened. So MAN, especially back when I, when I was uh, getting into Linux, I felt like it was a thing that MAN pages were not good. And to some degree... No, not to some degree. I think... I generally agreed with that. I was I, I didn't have a strong opinion on it, but I kind of felt like, yeah, you can type in man, but it doesn't give you any context. And a lot of times that's exactly what you need when you're fumbling around a Linux system or a Unix system, is you, you need to know how some something fits into a larger picture. And all you get from the man page, generally, is just literally what the programmer has provided for you as part of that command. 
And sometimes that's just not very helpful. You just think, okay, well, um, okay, I know that I have the dash dash long option, but I still don't know what this command does. I know how to invoke the command. I know that the word to type, and I know that there's an option to, you know, give me verbose output, and that's it. So in a way, you know, you kind of, they are bad. The man pages aren't great. Um, but through this experience, walking through all of the Slackware packages and all the binaries and looking at all the available man pages, I have kind of discovered that through repetition and I guess practice and just kind of like growing familiarity, you do kind of start to get the lingo of man pages. I mean, I, I already kind of felt like I did have the lingo down, but I still didn't feel super comfortable about man pages. And I guess, truth be told, I guess I still don't. You know, I still recognize that man pages have a certain shortcoming, and that is that they don't, that they're not modeled to, 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 to teach everyone from any point of expertise, which is a tall order, by the way. Like, you, you could, you can, you can say that about all kinds of things, right? I mean, I've got one of my favorite books right here on my desk. I keep it here. Um, and it is the Doc Book 5 Definitive Guide. And you open it up, and it it doesn't tell you... Like, if you had bought this, if you'd purchased this book to learn Doc Book, you would be sorely disappointed. I cannot even imagine how upset you would be if you thought that this was going to actually teach you Doc Book. Now, the back of the book fairly says, if you need a reliable tool for technical documentation, this clear and concise reference will help you take advantage of Doc Book, the popular XML schema. So it doesn't it doesn't claim to be a, 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 a lesson book for every person wanting to use DocBook. And I think man pages, in a sense, because they don't declare their intent, I think a lot of people get assume that the man page is meant to teach you the system. And disappointingly, I have definitely, definitely, unquestionably heard people say phrases like, well, Unix isn't that hard, you just have to read the man pages. That kind of flippant statement gives, I think, man the man system a, a fairly bad name, because it does imply that if you sit down in front of a, a, a Unix terminal and just start reading man pages, then you'll just suddenly understand how it all works. And you won't, of course, because if you don't even know, well, about the man command, first of all, if you don't know what you're supposed to do with Unix, then that's not going to help you. And I think that that right there is one of the biggest roadblocks to people comfortably adopting Unix and Linux, because they just can't understand. There's just a gap in the um, the, the perception, in the world view. There's a gap there of, I don't understand how looking at a black screen with green text on it and typing letters that don't even look like words half the time counts as using a computer. And that's a fair, that's a fair complaint. I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. If all you ever know from school and from experience is that when someone says, hey, I want you to type me out a document, all you ever know is that that means opening up Microsoft Word at worst, I guess, and at best maybe like, you know, text edit and typing out words and, and using the bold button to make things bold and and using the a control I maybe for italics and stuff like that, then, then you don't understand how someone could then open a terminal 
open up Vi or Jove and or Nano and start typing text and then even produce a PDF from that that looks exactly like the PDF that you produced from from your Word document. Like that those things just don't they're not the same. They're they're completely different things. And so a lot of times when people sit down at a terminal, the idea that they're going to do something familiar is way way out of their mind because this is not familiar. So what do they do then? And that's that's a problem with lots of technologies, I think, like the Arduino. You know, I I've, how many people do you know with an Arduino? in the top drawer of of their desk and they have no idea what to do with the thing they got it they are excited about it they made the lead blink and now what raspberry pi same way you get the pi you're told that it's this amazing thing maybe you boot it up once or twice but then what do you do with it so that question of like okay well what now i don't think the man pages really answer that very well but to be fair i i don't believe that that's what they were ever intended for. Um, because if that is what they're intended for, then they're doing a horrible job. And I just, I do not think that that's what they're for. There have been a couple of um, help systems that a couple of people have developed. And I think those are great. You know, I think just the ability for someone to, to stand in front of a screen and type help and actually get an overview of what on earth they are witnessing and where they should go next for 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 more for more lessons i think that's really powerful stuff i think it's an egregious error that we don't that linux doesn't ship with that already i think that's a mistake i think that's something that that linux should have done 10 years ago it doesn't do it now it should it should be doing it the word the typing in help at a on a terminal should bring up and a, a basic introduction to the the most embarrassingly basic um concepts of of posix computing that's that i mean that is the the end of story and right now if you type in help it brings up what they ostensibly call help for bash which uh is just a list of like built-in functions or something ridiculous like that not not useful not really okay anyway the man system Man, we know man, actually. We we know this because we did uh, three episodes or something on Groff, which is what man pages have been written in, generally. Or maybe it's in Roth or t Roth. We don't know. We don't care. We know that Groff is basically all of those things in the big sort of free software package with lots of improvements and so on. So, man, format and display the online manual pages. Now, interestingly, online, of course, here in this case, doesn't actually mean what we mean now when we say online. So that's always kind of fun. Um, the film industry actually uses online and offline as well in a very different way than people are used to. Okay, manuals, man pages are, are divided into eight categories. One encompasses user commands, two encompasses system calls, three are C library functions, Four are devices and special files. Five is file formats and conventions. Six is games and miscellaneous. No, sorry, games and so on. And then seven is miscellaneous. And then eight is uh, system admin tools and daemons. Many of us don't use those on a regular basis because generally man defaults to the one that you are are probably thinking of. You know, if if you're often using a command uh, like, I don't know, time then it's probably already defaulting to to the time command you think it would default to like the actual time command user bin time but if it turned out that there was another time in the man pages maybe in a different section like as a system call or something 
then and you wanted the documentation for that system call not for the command then maybe you would use the the you would define which section from the from the from the man subsystem you want to read you might say something like man dash capital s uh what would it be two for a system call right uh and then time conveniently uh that actually is a system call and uh time time or man dash capital s two time brings up time two linux programmers manual time two time get time in seconds synopsis hash include um brackets time dot h and then time underscore t time parentheses time underscore t times t loc uh close parentheses and of course that important little semicolon at the end okay so that's that's when I specify to look at time two or, or the in, into section two of the man, man system. So now if I just do man time, it defaults to the user manual. So now this says time one, Linux user's manual, time one. Um, I think it's, I, I, I guess I should look into this at some point. I think it, it's defaulting to things in your path first. And so this one is time, time. Time a simple command or give resource usage synopsis. Time options command arguments. So a completely different man page for the same four-letter word T I M E. If if it's from the first section of man, it's the user manual. If it's the, from the second, it's giving you a, a system call. That's an important distinction and one that doesn't come up often because usually you are just looking for the one that you normally use. It's not a big deal. But were you to actually attempt to get to something that was, you know, if you were getting interfered with some other thing, and you're like, that's not the 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 one that I meant, then now you know, man dash capital S, and then the section that you want. Man, of course, is, I mean, it's just a graph reader, really, like, at the end of the day. It just looks at graph files and displays it in a nice, pretty way. So if you have... If you have something that if you have a graph file that you want to view rendered, then you can just manually define that file as the thing you want to open with man. So man dot or man space foo dot 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 graph, and that'll open up a graph file and render it for you as if well as as you would expect graph to be rendered on screen. So that's kind of nice to know. Now you can also override where man looks for its man path. I don't know if you can hear that chainsaw happening outside, but it is. There's a chainsaw happening outside, so if you can hear that, try to ignore it. Um, man, it's spring here in New Zealand. It, it's it's uh, people are actually going outside and doing things now. We're just sort of recovering from winter. Okay, man path uh, dash capital M as in well man really or Mike if you're doing the whole alphabet thing. Um, path and that this just tells it a different directory to look for all those man pages. You can also do a dash capital P to tell it to use a different pager. So we've I think I've talked about a couple of different pagers before because I was looking for a better pager than I think less was my yeah, I'm sure because that's what I generally use is less. And I wanted something even better than less. Turns out there's not. So uh but if you prefer most or sorry more or most uh you can you can define your pager as that why you would do it here on like dynamically like that i'm not sure but who knows i mean maybe you maybe you usually do like to use uh less but you want to use more right now who knows dash capital b specifies which browser to use for html documentation and that that is set by normally it's set by the browser environment variable generally it will use links if that's available user bin links on, on slackware anyway i don't know what it's set on other on other distributions 
I mean, a lot of them don't even come with links anymore. So I guess I could check really quick right here on my rel on my rel laptop because I am kind of curious as to what other distributions set for that. So I'm going to do man man and look for the dash capital B. I'm not actually even seeing that as there it is. I don't know. It's a dash H on rel uh, for HTML browser. It, it causes Groff to produce HTML output and displays the output in a, rel, in a web browser. The choice of the browser is determined by the optional browser argument, by the browser environment variable, variable um, or by a compile time default if that is unset, usually links. Okay, so it is usually links, but it didn't ship with links, so I don't know what they do in, in, in that case. Okay, so uh, let's see, what else is there? Uh, oh yeah, dash K. Dash K is important, I guess. So if you do a dash, or man, dash K, and then let's just do a, um, this is a search. So we'll do a search for, I don't know, locate. And what that does is sh it lists any man page that has the string locate. That's what I searched for, the string locate. If, if that string appears in either the title or the description of the man page, then it gets listed for me here. So if you're not really sure exactly what command it is that you want to read the man page for, but you know maybe part of the command, or you know the function of a command, man-k, and then that, whatever it is that you think you can search for, may help you narrow, sort of narrow your focus into what, what you actually want. Man-k searches every single man page on your system for that string and that takes considerably longer amount of time that that um basically is you just don't do it honestly it's just it takes forever so the um the way that man pages are found when you type in you know just that magical man ls or whatever how does it know what to show you well first and foremost it uses the contents of slash etsy slash man.conf Actually, first and foremost, it looks to see if there's a slash in whatever you've g given it. If it if it sees a, f a, f a slash, it assumes that you're, uh, I think, defining... Uh, I think the man page says a file specification, which I don't exactly know what that means, to be honest. But I'm assuming that... At, at least at some point, if you give it a direct, if, if you get an absolute path, then it assumes that that's that you want to look at that file. You want it to render that file, that graph file that you're pointing it at, and it doesn't search at all. As long as it is searching, though, so your 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 the name of the man page that you're asking to sh to be see to see, it doesn't contain a slash. Then it first looks on on Slack where the default is man path map. First looks at slash bin, and uh, rather if the thing if the command that you specify is located in slash bin then man looks in user share man actually is that is that true for slackware or is that something that i changed i don't remember where slackware actually puts its man pages and for a while there i was i was changing it i, I changed that myself because i didn't want my man pages on my uh, ssd drive uh, but either way in in etsy slash man dot conf you 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 see the 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 map the man path map uh, of preferences, and it goes through. You know, okay, if it's in bin, then here's here's where to look. S bin, here's where to look. User bin, here's where to look, and it goes through all of those things. And that is again why when we searched for time, man time, it showed the user command. Well, of course it would because 
time is in user bin. So that's like a third on this list, slash bin, slash sbin, slash user bin. That comes way before something like wherever time would be located for, for the documentation of a system call, which I don't even know. I'm not even, I'm not confident that that would be set here at all in this configuration file. I think in order to get it to look in the system, you know, wherever a system call would be found, uh, you'd have to do the dash capital K to get it to search all, all, all of your system, every man page on your entire system, which again, can take a long time. Okay, so that's everything I can think to say about man, where its configuration file is, it's how it finds stuff, it's all the options that you can use. That's, um, that's a lot. I think, of information about a system that most of us, you know, generally, because we can, uh, we take it for granted. I, I don't think that's a, a bad thing by any by any means. I just think that it is interesting that most of us just kind of look at man as kind of a quick, magic, and only semi-useful thing. Um, and it, it, it is. It's quick, and sometimes it can be magical, um, and sometimes it can be very useful, and then other times, yeah, not so much. It just depends on the context. Okay, so the next one, or, or actually the first one technically, but I didn't want to start with this one, is apropos. And that is practically the same thing as man-k. It's a search. You can search for something that you feel ought to be associated in some way with some man page. You just don't know which one. So I'm going to do a file on backtick which apropos. Close backtick. It says it's user bin apropos POSIX shell script. So this is a shell script. That's interesting. Let's do a less on the same. And uh, yes, it is a shell script. And I kind of, I half expected to come here and find that it was literally just a, a symlink to man-k. Like that's genu genuinely what I kind of assumed it was going to be. But that is not the case. Uh, it does seem to be a shell script that first goes to great trouble to um, set some, some, some paths, and then it, it performs ultimately what is, and then it prints out the things that it has found. So what is happens to be something that came with man as well. So, so far we've, we've gone from man-k to apropos, which points to what is, and so now, uh, let's, let's look at what is. So we'll do a which what is, that's user bin, so we'll surround that in back ticks and do a file on that. We find that that's a shell script as well. Long story short, apropos and what is are, are basically the same file. There's one different. There, if you do a diff on them, line 26 and 27 comes up different because the grep opt one variable is set to apropos grep opt one, and in what is it is set to what is grep opt one. Point, point is that ultimately they both resolve to a grep of some set of man pages defined by manpath, defined by etsyman.conf or some environment variable probably. I, I haven't, I don't remember, I haven't traced them back on paper or on my wall yet, you know, to like sort of do the, the big mind map of how all of this connects. It does strike me as very odd that apropos and what is are basically the same thing, that they use grep to do a thing that apparently man K does as well. It, it, I guess if I really wanted to track it all down, I would go look at the source code to see what's actually happening when you do a man-k. I don't care that much. Point is, you have three different ways to search for some string in a man page. And the nice thing, I guess, about doing that over 
for instance, just actually grepping through stuff, is that you can constrain it based on man path variables. Because you, you, you may not actually want to do greps on, on man pages just for any string, because you never know how it'll get used. So really, you do kind of want some sense of limited search. And that's what these give you. Why you need three different ways to do it, I, I really don't know. Maybe it's for historical purposes. Maybe what is was, you know, on, I don't know, BSD back in 1982, and Apropos was on uh, on Linux at some point, and then that got phased out, maybe, and then they did man-k. Who knows? I don't know. It is really weird, though. Okay, next up is user bin man2dvi. This is also a shell script. Don't get used to it. Not everything can be a shell script, but this one is, and it invokes, of course, Groff. Of course it does. Because Groff, like I said, man pages are just Groff files, or, or troff, or inroff, or whatever. But it's, 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 it's Groff. And we know Groff. So, no surprise, very first line of this shell script, I mean, after all the comments and stuff, is Groff-T, which, of course, is, what is it, a device or something, a DVI, and then dash man doc. So it's just a Groff command. We know all of this already. We've done Groff conversion before in episodes, whatever number they are, a couple of episodes back now. We did three episodes on them. So this is not new. This is exactly what you would do with with Groff if, if you had just written a document in Groff and wanted to convert it to DVI. So th this is, yeah, this is just a a fancy alias, as it were. I mean, it's not an alias, but I mean, it, it's, it's a fancy invocation of of a familiar graph tool. Not so with user bin HTML. Uh, sorry, user, user bin man to HTML. That one is actually a binary file, and according to the man page for man to HTML, it converts a manual page as found in some file that you give it, or standard in if you don't give it a file at all, from man style in ROF into HTML, and prints the results on standard out. So kind of a Groff conversion yet again, really, but I guess not directly enough that they could just use use a Groff command. So I'll do a man to HTML, and then let's just do ls, I guess. File not found. Oh, it wants an actual file. Okay, interesting. That's weird. That's fine. We'll go to man1, and uh, actually I'll browse for something a little bit more interesting than, than um, ls. I'll do aj-snapshot.1.gz. That's not a default application on Slackware, but it is it is kind of nice. Oh, interesting, and it can't take that either because it is, it is gzipped. Wow, this is a really tough... This is a... This is kind of a tough one to to get to cooperate, I guess. Okay, so what we're going to do is zcat, and then path to the exact man page that I want converted, and then pipe, and then man to HTML. And there I've got my, my little man page. That was, that was not easy to get there, though. Is it the greatest HTML I've ever seen? No, I wouldn't accuse it of that. Um, it doesn't close half of the tags that it opens. I don't know if that's illegal or not, but yeah, it's 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 sort of like just enough HTML to get the job done. So don't I, I don't think I would personally use this as you know I wouldn't my workflow would not be I know what I'll do I'll write in Groff and then use man to HTML to convert it to HTML and then post that on the internet. That's not my workflow personally. Could be yours, but I I don't think I would go that route. Okay, that is everything for man. That was mad play as well, of course. And that's really it for this episode. So next next episode, we get to talk about MariaDB, which is a subject I'm pretty sure I cannot do justice. 
Um, but I will be able to give you an overview of it and possibly arguably an introduction into it. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you've never used MySQL or MariaDB, then possibly learning the little bit that I know for, you know, setting up WordPress sites and migrating WordPress sites and stuff like that might be actually useful. Might not be. We'll see. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next time. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. You're strange. Do you?